This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. The following is a presentation of Morning Drive Media. southernmost point of door to the land of always winners. What is west of west and the shadows in the east? This is Casterly Talk. I'm Ken Napsuck with you for the 43rd edition. I have missed the last couple weeks. Apologies. This happens when you catch a little cold that turns into bronchitis and you don't have a maester around to take care of you right quick and promptly. But I'm with you here now. Also programming notes um, due to holidays, some travel, and then some work I've uh, taken on. Uh, look for Casterly Talk to be bi-weekly for the next month or two. Then once we get into the early spring of 2020, we'll ramp up and really, really start looking towards the show's show. Oh, that's uh, the show that's on the way. House of, uh, House, of Dra- House of the Dragon, House of Dragons, the Dragon Dance House, that show. Uh, we'll you know, reminisce about uh, Game of Thrones and also what could have been with Blood Moon and maybe, just maybe, a little book will come out. We'll see. We'll see. But I'm here with you now uh, for this uh, quick episode to get back, a uh, quicker episode to get back into swing of things as uh, I uh, return to health. Got a lot of your uh, calls, uh, uh, your questions coming in, and also a little fun news item that uh, popped up a couple days ago. Uh, I was reading here from CNN. Chris, Chris, I say Christopher, but Christopher could also be realistic. Christopher Hivju, who of course plays uh, Tormund Jainsbane on HBO's Game of Thrones, says there's a Game of Thrones alternate ending we will never see. All right, this is what he says. This is what he says to Metro.co.uk. We shalt shot an alternate ending. Or he says alternative. Is it like a Gin Blossoms album? We shalt shot an alternative ending, the Norwegian actor said, and that was mostly for fun, but I don't know if I'm allowed to tell you about that. That's all he'd give up, says the article. And then he said this. The funny thing is, after season seven, I had my theories about the show's end. Fans had theirs. Everybody, the cast had their theories. So there were thousands of theories. To choose one path would be difficult to say, but there were many things I didn't see coming. There was the element of surprise, which I liked. We always got to get the opinions of the cast members on the show, right? It's it's valuable. It actually is valuable. Um, it's it's also very interesting to to see these cast members go through the process of making a show that you know they don't know a lot uh, what's going on as well, and until they see it with us, I, I, I actually really do love that. Uh, so, is there an alternative ending? Well, you know. I don't have the news stories in front of me, but going into season eight, remember we had a long stretch of time between seven and eight. And we heard once they started shooting, we heard things that there were going to be different endings, false scripts, false pages. A lot of that, not uncommon. Benny and Weiss had said they had talked with, I believe Ryan Johnson about how, you know, he was shooting last Jedi and how do you 
keep it secret. Uh, there's people actively trying to get this stuff. And, you know, how do you make that happen? And how do you keep them away? Keep the, uh, keep the dogs at bay. And I, I think they did a really good job with season eight. I, I didn't go looking for spoilers. I never do. But season seven, some of the spoilers found me. And, and no one was in a situation where, like, people were tweeting at me or sending me DMs or anything. It just was like, oh, yeah. It popped up in a feed. There it is. The big one was John arriving on, on Dragonstone on the beach and, and meeting Danny. There were some long, like, telescope kind of shots about it. And it was like, yeah, all right. I can imagine that's ha- happening. It wasn't some big reveal. It wasn't a death or anything. Uh, but it kind of took, uh, you know, some of the surprise out there. That's why we don't like those spoilers. But season eight, I myself did not know anything. Didn't hear anything. Didn't see anything. Again, I don't go looking for it. But I think they did an amazing job. Um, in this age, this modern age, it's a long way from the days where like full Star Wars prequel scripts were online and available and accurate. It's a weird thing. So is there different endings? I think it's possible for him to say they shot one for fun is, does not ring true. And there's some people, uh, uh, commenting on this article saying, you know, Hey, maybe he's joking around. I think so, but there could have been ones. And what would it be is the one. And if it's for fun, what is it? I think if it's for fun, I think it's, uh, John and Danny destroy the world and do it hand in hand and run off together. Uh, that would be for fun or everyone lives or maybe it's everyone dies. Uh, maybe Cersei wins the battle. Maybe the Night King wins the battle. But again, I don't think you're going to see them going through and filming this. But if they did, and if there were truly some alternate endings that... Now, see, that's the thing. When you say alternate endings, is it things that they were considering, which you don't go shoot a bunch of endings and pick the one at the end that you like the best. This is planned. It's thought out, written, obviously. But if there were some endings or false endings, I think it's more accurate. False and tricksy. If there was those endings out there, do you want to know? Do you want to see? Well, of course. It's like a George Lucas's treatments for the episode seven, eight, and nine films. Like, yeah, I want to see them. I definitely want to see them. Um, I don't want to compare them. I think that's the danger, especially in fandoms and digital media discussion nowadays. If you were to get a hold of something, I guarantee, no matter what it is, it could have been that Theon Greyjoy becomes the uh, the king of the Seven Kingdoms and, uh, you know, marries uh, Sansa in the process. And people would have been like, oh, that's, that's better. We like that better. Oh, if only they would have gone with that. It could have been the ghost of Stannis Baratheon coming back and haunting everyone and winning the day. And even people outside of me would have been like, oh, that would have been better. It's this weird thing we do now that contrast and compare, even if you kind of like it, um, kind of like what the, they ended up on. So I'm glad it's buried. I hope we never see it. But doesn't doesn't mean I'm not curious to the possibilities. I don't think Benny Weiss will ever reveal what they might have done. I wonder if there ever will be kind of a deep dive, not tell-all book in a negative sense, but a deep dive book but the process for some of that stuff will be discussed. Uh, that that would be tremendously interesting to find out there. Um, uh, of all the things, you know, clearly they, they, they went off the trail. They went off the hiking path and, and went in their own, own way, perhaps even more than I thought back in season five, six, and seven. I still thought they were, they were working towards something. But it, it, it's become more and more apparent 
that they kind of had to take a lot of things in their own hands early on. Um, whether, you know, getting, you can get the conspiracy theory that George was withholding. I don't think it was. I think George gave him the roadmap and, and that was it because he didn't know. I still think it, 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 George is, is writing his way around the story. He admits to that. Characters dictate, dictate his story, and that sometimes takes it to places where he didn't plan for, and that's kind of apparent. I don't mean as a snide remark or comment, but it's kind of apparent. George uh, takes that story, and it goes and goes and goes, and you can't do that in TV. So I am really intrigued. The, the Arya Stark thing is the one that I love the most. We know now. We, we, we always know. Also, by the way, I saw a news story pop up. Uh, about a day ago, right, as I'm about to record this, and was like, you know, there's another Night King. It's a different one in the books. Yeah, uh, we we kind of all knew that, the Night King versus the Night King, uh, get with it. Um, there, it seems like a, a complete uh, creation of the show, a- almost complete creation of the show, which leads to Arya Stark getting the kill, and something they said they planned for a few seasons ago, which means they didn't plan for it from the beginning, which, by the way, is how you know a lot of these stories uh, and, and productions work. The idea of quote having a plan, particularly to say something in Star Wars, is uh, when you hear people say that you should question their motivations or their thought process behind that. You don't create that way. Uh, an overall arcing storyline, yeah, but things are going to change. Things are going to move, and and you're going to find new things on a long form show that goes on for season and season and season, a, a movie series, all those books, again, going back to George R. R. Martin. Planning in pencil is is a good way, a good approach. I once saw someone from uh, Star Wars Story Group tweet that when uh, in response to um, the plan. Well, we, we did plan in pencil, and that's the way you should do it. So having a few seasons ago, when Arya is shipped off, uh, which we know does come from the books, and using all of that and using her experiences to, to, to end up killing the Night King, getting the big victory, it makes a lot of sense to me. It makes it puts her so uh, so in the middle of the story. When if you go back to some episodes of Daily Thrones or maybe some early ones here in Casterly Talk, we were wondering, what is Arya's place in the story? Who is no one? And this no one becomes Arya again. And she's going around getting revenge. She still has the list. Does she go down to King? All those things. All those things. Where does she fit in? And, and this is how she fits in. She fits in in an amazingly important way. A lot of people don't like it. All right, that's fair. All right, that's fair. I, I understand, too. People are like, hey, I had no problem with Arya getting the kill. But where's this? Uh, where's the history? Where's the answers? How come the Night King didn't say, here's why I've been doing this? Um, It might just be that, again, some men want to watch the world burn or some men just want to watch the world freeze. So I am behind the decision, and I'm curious, though, the point of this. Curious, if you go back, what were some other options? Because they introduce the Night King, what, season four, right? Four, yeah, four. The baby's taken up there to the lands of always winter, we do believe. And, and that's where we really, for the first time, see the Night King. And we all freaked out. Oh, that's the Night's King. No, it's the Night King. Oh, okay, something new. So they had an end game in place it, uh, that, that, I, that I still think, by the way, ties to George's story. I, I think, uh, keeping with the Azor High prophecy, um, if you really break it down, there's, there's three attempts, three attempts before the sword is plunged into the chest and heart of Nisa Nisa. 
And that's what John does. It follows that. So I still think it all ends up to some kind of, in some kind of same order. But does the book have the Night's King return? Does that play into the series? That's what I'm very curious about. Is it something else? It, it would make sense that George would have something to emerge, but it, but it would emerge late in the game for me. That's what I, I love the addition. I'm sorry, this is kind of a tangent conversation, but I love the addition of the Night King in the show and creating this this uh, rival for Jon Snow in a way that, again, we 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 just assume, and I, I get why we assume it means, quote, more, but really it doesn't need to mean anything more than that, than this guy wants to destroy the world and Jon's in his way. Why does he want to destroy the world? Because, well, he was turned into a monster, and that don't sit well with him. Always the artist he is. Rubbing it in, waiting for this chance to come down, gets the chance, gets the dragon, now he's going to do it. And I think that was needed. I think that does kind of provide a a fun thread that goes through that's very important. We are obsessed with the details. We are obsessed with the details, and Game of Thrones is a show that rewards the details. I, I do want some more of those answers in the book. I want a little bit more. If the Night's King returns, do we get more of a reason why? You probably will. You probably will, and you might very well so get it now. Um, but this is being an endgame, getting back on the, on the trail here for myself. What were some other options that they might have had before they settled on Arya? There are a lot of candidates in my mind, uh, but more than ever, it's Jon Snow. And that's why a lot of people thought this is Jon Snow's battle. It was Jon Snow's battle. But he wasn't capable of winning it. He had the heart to win it. He had the skills to win it. But he was going to lose. He was going to lose. That's why he needed Arya and her skills. And I love that. I love that. Good on you, Arya. But um, he's the leading candidate. Jamie Lannister or on, a, on a big, powerful redemption arc? Maybe dying in the process? Eh, works. Obviously, his story still lies with Cersei. Bran of Tarth. Jorah has to stick with Danny. The Hound, we know where he has to go. Bran of Tarth. She's got big victories on her resume. Any way you slice it. On the show, she has the added victory of the Hound uh, on her resume. That's not in the books, obviously. So her taking out the Night King in some way works. But even in the books, at the end of the day, Arya makes a lot of sense. Why do you learn all the skills? To come back for the simple, simple piece of revenge. A simple story of revenge. No, I want more. I want more, and that's what we got. So alternate endings, different choices, they're out there. We're going to speculate. Um, but I love celebrating what was. So Christoph, Christ, see, I'm saying it right. Christopher, I can't, why would it be different? Christopher Hibju. That's the easy part is the last name. I'm, I want to say Christopher Chris Christofferson, no, torment. For him to say there's any uh, endings that they did for fun, it's intriguing, it's interesting, it makes you think what else is out there, but I'm happy with what we got, and sometimes I think that's all we need before it sparks some controversies. Um, so we had a question last time around uh, from Mark at Mark Talk here. You can follow him on Anchor. Um, uh, talking about Gendry and John and maybe wanting more, so we have a response to that and a thought starter from our friend Billy here on Casterly Talk. Hey, Ken, it's Billy. I just wanted to call in to say that I agree with Mark that I would have loved to seen 
more interaction between John and Gendry, especially because of the irony that John is truly Rhaegar's son and Rhaegar and Robert were such bitter enemies. So it would have been really nice to see them interact. And I have to say, I think there was a big missed opportunity with the show with having Gendry go back to King's Landing to hide in plain sight. I think he should have gone to the Night's Watch after Davos set him free from Dragonstone because the last we really saw Gendry, he wanted to join the Brotherhood without banners to have that sense of brothership, family, community. And I think the Night's Watch, it would have been a logical decision for him to go there. It would have been as far away from Cersei as he could get without going to Essos. And it would have allowed us to have another point of view character up at the Night's Watch. You could build the relationship between John and Gendry. And then you have just Gendry's story, actually him already being at the wall. It, all, it would all make sense at the end. I like this thought here, Billy. Uh, yeah, we're, we're talking again more, getting more interaction with John and Gendry. And again, Gendry comes back again to possibly to serve more of a bigger plot point in, in Arya's story, but comes back with a lot of history and the history in those names and ends up in a great place. Obviously he has that bed and storms end treating you Gendry. So again, could we have seen and been served well by more interaction with them? Yeah. I, I like the, so we concentrate on Ned and Robert a lot, even though Jon Snow is not Ned's son. It's still kind of, that's the view son of Ned, quote unquote, son of Ned, bastard son of Robert Baratheon. There's a lot of history there. Put the, put ice and the war hammer, the war back to back. That'd be interesting there. But I love now the, the, the truth of what it is. Uh, of Rhaegar Targaryen's son with Stark blood in him and the son of Robert Baratheon. Now there's some history. There's some history. And how do you talk about that? What's the dinner table conversation with Jon Snow and Gendry sitting there? Hey, so uh, your dad uh, kidnapped my dad's girlfriend. No, 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 he did not. She went off by choice. She didn't like your dad. Dev's kind of a overblown, pompous blowhard. Yeah, but he was the king. Oh, yeah, became the king after the war. But yes, um, he also believed and helped spread the lies about my father, Rhaegar Targaryen, who would have been a good king and being given the opportunity, the rightful opportunity. Oh, yes, but, you know, he did. He was married. He did uh, kind of go against his vows at his marriage and old, as we now know, and uh, ran off with your aunt there, uh, or your mom now, or whatever she is. It's confusing in your family. Oh, that would have been a fun conversation. I can see it. I like a little brewing tension between them. Then, this idea Billy's putting out of Gendry and the Watch. I love the Night's Watch. And this actually makes a lot of sense. Gendry sent down to... Uh, sent down to to uh, hide in plain sight, as, as Billy says in uh, King's Landing. Yeah, it works for me. It ends up all in a, in a good spot. But I think you could send him to the watch and end up in absolutely the same spot. Go to the watch. We need you up there. Hide. Gendry of uh, Nowhere's Land. Get a chance to interact with John. Maybe we have those conversations. Maybe John knows the truth, finds out the truth, something like that. There's some fun. There's some intrigue. But then when it all comes down, send him over to East Watch by the Sea, and we still have the same mission. It all ends up kind of in the same spot. Again, the Night's Watch is not what it was by the time the show ends. It wasn't 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 what, what it wasn't what it was when the show started. But you don't need to keep Gendry there. It would have been interesting. It would have been interesting. 
Um, Gendry served his purpose and served his purpose. And he was also a fast runner. So you need him there for that. Right. Huh? Um, but him coming back, I, I like how it played out. But to get there in a different way, I, I like this idea. What do you guys think about Gendry and the watch? and getting a little bit more. We can c- keep that conversation going. We're going to keep this show going, though. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. On the other side of this break, we're going to take more of your calls. What is Thought Starters here on Casterly Talk? See you, friends. Stick around. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're back here on Casterly Talk. Thanks for sticking around. And we're going to get to some of your calls. Some of your calls and thoughts as we, you know, sinking during the break here. Because I actually do take, it's like legitimate breaks. Um, I was thinking, like, it's disappointing. We're, we're losing Blood Moon. We're going to talk about that. But I, I, I just realized, and not, and not, a little bit of time, a few months maybe, we'll, we'll really start getting back into Game of Thrones uh, World of Ice and Fire Fever with the other series and how exciting that will be. Straight to series, right? It's good. It's going. We'll have it. We'll have at least one year to uh, hopefully continue. My hopes are high. Hopes are really high, especially especially with Miguel Sapochnik involved. It's going to look to me, it's going to have kind of the same look and feel that we love. And who knows, maybe that was part of the reason Blood Moon didn't work. But uh, let's go to your calls right now here. You know, Billy had a great call to end uh, the, this first segment. Let's uh, go with him to start the second. Hey, Ken, it's Billy. I just wanted to say that one of the character interactions that I was hoping to see the most in Season 8 of Game of Thrones was actually John and Jamie. I was really hoping they would have a one-on-one scene together where they can discuss because the last time that they were with each other jamie kind of gave him a snide remark about how john's joined the watch and if he doesn't like it well it's only for life jamie was kind of picking on john making fun of the watch and now in season eight jamie's coming to john and everybody up in the north and saying hey i want to help you i believe you i'm here to help like let me let me join and i think it would have been really interesting to see the two interact especially since they go on such similar journeys in the show, it's more in the beginning seasons, and it kind of veers off as they leave the books. But in the books, John and Jamie are on such parallel stories. It's so interesting, and it's ironic because they're the two of my most favorite characters in the series. Great thought, great call, Billy. As always, John and Jamie, yeah, their interaction, that's season one, and season one the conversation that Billy's referencing is great stuff, man. Oh, didn't we hate Jamie back then? Didn't we just loathe Jamie Lannister? But look where he ends up, and look where he ends up. Kind of begging for mercy in front of uh, Daenerys and Jon. And yeah, again, do you have time to get into every one of these one-on-one conversations? Not really, but the idea 
of John and Jamie having a conversation, John realizing, hey, you know, you stabbed my quote-unquote father, the man who raised me, tried to kill him and didn't work, but then it kind of led to it. Uh, You were captured by my brother, again, quotations, um, him, Jamie, being able to reference Catelyn Stark and more of a private conversation, it would have been meaty. It would have been meaty. To what end? I don't know. The end might have been just John showing mercy and John being like, yeah, you did all these things and you did say that, but we need you now because that's my theme and that's who I am. So you're not just forgiven. You need to find redemption and this is how you get it. This is the path. And would have been interesting. Um, would that have stopped Jamie from doing anything uh, as, that he did, leaving a brand, breaking her heart, and heading back to die with Cersei? I don't know. I, mean, I still think that's where it needs to go. Again, a lot of this gets leads us back to where we ended up, and, and I think that's the way to do it. But it would have been a meaty scene, and to see the role reversal in a way, at least from Jamie Lannister's point of view, or at least Jamie, we get to see who he is now compared to who he was then. We know it. It's 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 on display a lot of places, but specifically with Jon Snow because of that conversation he had all the way back in season one, all the way back in the pilot, right? So, and to see where Jon is now and the, uh, you know, I, I forgiving nature of Jon, but it's not that he doesn't, uh, you know, hold, hold some grudges, ask uh, Alistair Thorne and Ollie, but uh, it just what his theme was in the final two years. Nuts to all of this. Nuts to the throne. Nuts to the battle and the pursuit of the throne. Nuts to these walls and boundaries and, 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 and the borders we put around our lands and our hearts. We have one problem we all need to face. And Jamie shows up with a lot of baggage, but I like, and it ends up that that way that it's like, yeah, great, good. You're on the team now because we need you because we all need each other. And I think it would have been fun to though, uh, fun to, fun to see that though, a little bit up more up close and personal. John and Jamie, Jamie Lannister, man, what a, what a fun character. Just thinking back to those conversations, every conversation, almost every conversation he's had going back, gosh, going back to that, that, Conversation with Robert Baratheon, Barristan Selmy about their first kills. That's that's the first moment. I, I hated Jamie, right? I did all the right things. Uh, uh, you know, I, I hated him. I booed him. Boo House Lannister. Tyrion, all right. He seems all right, but he's House Lannister. And then that was the conversation, man. The information's given to you. Often we we only, you know, speculation and, and lore be damned. You can only deal with the information that you have in front of you, Right. And Jamie Lannister was the bad guy. Killed the king, man. Kingslayer. Pushed a kid out a window. Sex with his sister. I don't like any of this. And then there's that moment about the first kills. And I never asked you, what did the mad king say when you plunged a sword in his back? Same thing he'd been saying for hours. Burn them all. It's great. It's great. And uh, Oh, by the way, uh, Probably one of those moments that Benioff and Weiss were like, oh, we should probably add this in because we're short on some minutes. So you tell me again that they don't they don't know what they're doing. Uh, how does that go? How does that go again? Yeah. The scenes in season one, scenes that they had, the scenes they put in there. <sighs> Home runs. Let's go to our call from our good from Eric Monroe. 
Hey, Ken Cashley Talk. So first off, thank you for the kind words about my dad. The surgery was a success with no complications. So he has a lot of healing and recovery to do, but he definitely is on the mend. So the two things I wanted to talk about with Game of Thrones. One, you know, I am very disappointed that Blood Moon is not going forward. That's going to always be a pilot I'm always going to be curious about that we'll probably definitely never see. But one of my questions, would you want to see what we were going to see on screen maybe done in another form, like a more extensive book? Or I'm still a big believer in a Game of Thrones cartoon. I think it could totally work if you get some good voice actors. So what would you want to see with that? And my other question, it was released what the Night King was originally going to look like, the first concept art, and he had this crown. And, you know, you know it looks kind of creepy, but I personally like what they did with the show more than the original concept. But uh, what do you think? All right. Blood Moon cartoon. Yes. Yes. Give it to me. And it's not going to happen. Eric knows that. I know that. But maybe, maybe, can we get a, can we get a World of Ice and Fire app? A World of Ice and Fire Plus? Could we just get a bunch of shows? I'd love this story to be told somehow, some way. I'd love to know the story they were going to tell. It goes just beyond the pilot. It's what Jane Goldman and her team had put together, man, because that's how you pitch a show. You might pitch the idea and the concept, uh, you might have a pilot in place. Often you don't. Often the network helps you decide what the pilot's going to be. But you have to show, beyond just proof of concept, proof of where the story's going. I'm working on a uh, a refined pitch right now for a, for a project that I, I hope one day you all hear about. It's getting close. Um, and every pitch we have, you have to put your seasons in there. Here's season one, here's season two, here's season three, and perhaps beyond. So at some point, George R. R. Martin, Jane Goldman, whoever was involved in that process, sat down and said, here's where this show goes, and I want to know that more than anything. That's the big loss, and it's a loss. This loss, the Blood Moon, the idea of it, it's a loss. Now, again, I haven't seen the pilot. Don't know. When, maybe it was going to, maybe the execution was bad. Maybe it didn't look. I keep wondering, too, if, if there was the look of the show. We saw some of the, you know, leak shots and everything. It looked pretty good, but, you know, it was... It was in universe. It had to be within universe to the to the um, HBO show. Um, so it had to me. It needs some sort of a similar look. Now, um, can the style the style can be different? The style of the characters' clothing, the, the, the their hair, the castles should be different, but it should feel like the same world um, as, as best can be. Uh, George Lucas might have a different opinion, and I understand very much what he's trying to do with the design. And the, and, the, and the look and the aesthetic of the, the prequel era. Um, so there's some room to play, but I just wonder from a basic sense, uh, basic, just how the show looked since that, uh, you know, did it, was it so different that they just didn't feel connected? Um, did George want to push for it to not be super connected to the Game of Thrones world? That's me throwing a little fire on George hates the show theory, which by the way, I don't, I don't think is true. Uh, maybe the other series, the House of the Dragon series, maybe they were able to keep it more uh, in-universe, uh, in-world, and closer to uh, the look, feel, and even the time of Game of Thrones. All that aside, I do want to know. I do want to know. Again, not just, hey, I want to see the pilot. Yeah, I do. But what story were they going to tell? What answers was George going to have in there about the Age of Heroes and what was Jane Goldman and her team going to answer? Ah, it's a loss. 
So could they do it in some way? Could they, we get a little more Age of Heroes content? Let's have George finish the books first. Let's have George also finish Fire and Blood 2 first. A uh, lot to get to, George. Um, but, yeah, one day, one day I'd love that, and maybe one day someone takes a crack at that. Could be really interesting. But definitely a loss. I don't know about a Blood Moon cartoon happening, but I would like to see it. Final thought and call of the day comes from our friend here, Alden Diaz. Hey, Ken, Alden Diaz here with a question regarding uh, the redemption that we see throughout the story of Game of Thrones. Obviously, you know, you and I are both big Star Wars guys, and I've been thinking a lot about Ben Demption and the fate of Kylo Ren, Ben Solo, as we lead up to the rise of Skywalker. And when I put it within the context of Game of Thrones and thinking about how well executed and believable those arcs were, that's part of what helped facilitate uh, my belief that Ben Demption is possible and could be done really well when I initially resisted it. I think about Jamie Lannister, I think about Sandor Clegane, uh, even to uh, you know Jorah, you know with his initial betrayal, but then later on proving his valor and his loyalty multiple times, and even to a lesser extent Tyrion, who hit bottom after uh, killing his father and after the death of Shay and everything that happened in season four, he definitely redeemed himself and and helped save the realm in the end. So I was wondering if you could explore maybe which of the redemption arcs are your favorite. Thanks. Well, this is a big question. This is uh, this is one of the times I wish I had the team with me, Lon, Andres, and uh, Rachel. Um, redemption stories. Well, the greatest redemption story is that of uh, Stannis Baratheon. We know, I know, I'm kidding. He didn't really didn't need the opposite of redemption. Um, there's a lot of redemption in Game of Thrones. There's a lot of it. A lot of it in, in, in Song of Ice and Fire. Um, Jorah. You guys know I love Jorah. He his redemption came to me. His redemption came early in terms of he spies, he gets the pardon. But you already know, you just already know it's a, it's a different kind of redemption. It's a conflicted heart, and you're so if you're a Jorah fan, you're not, you're you're just in. You understand his heart. You understand what happened, how he got there. Once you hear a little bit more of the story, banished from the land, Ned Stark, who we view as a is a good guy. So yeah, or maybe Jorah did something wrong, and he did in terms of the. The law of the land and, and maybe even a little bit of the spirit of the land. But I think, you know, right away, Jorah, Jorah probably didn't need the specific redemption as much of, of the others. The Hound, uh, Jamie Lannister, um, Tyrion Lannister. These are all great answers. Davos already had a great uh, redemption story, right? He already shows up kind of redeemed. And again, like Jorah, though, he always knew his heart. He wasn't he wasn't a scoundrel at all. Um, the Hound, to me, is my favorite right now. Jamie's, I'm all for it. Tyrion's, you start feeling for him early on by design. But the Hound, it takes a while. And with the Hound, as it starts happening, beat by beat, moment by moment, you... I think you just like him. You like Rory McCann as a performer. You like what the Hound uh, is doing. You know, when he stands up to his brother in the lists uh, during the uh, the joust tourney, you right away like, okay, 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 there's something going on. You hear Baelish's story, so you, you immediately get a layer. But for me, it isn't until he goes back uh, to Battle Blackwater Bay to, excuse me, to, um, to save Sansa. And actually, we should... Uh, 
earlier on in season two uh, during the riot where he saved Sansa. Um, there's a lot of those moments with Sansa in season two where you're starting to warm to him. But he's not ready to be redeemed. He's not ready to be or feel warm. So you're kind of not ready there either. So it slowly, slowly starts happening. You feel sorry for him. I think you do. I think you feel sorry for the hound. You have empathy for him, at least um, the moment you hear Baelish's story. But it just keeps going and going, and and he's still doing bad things with Arya. He's still. You get the sense that he's just selling her off, but he's protecting her. But it it, it isn't to me. It's it's his near death actually. The, what his end uh, uh, at the hands of uh, Brienne that. Uh, that I felt that I really, really wanted him to complete this redemption. And again, you follow the logic, you trace it out, it tracks, it all goes all the way, it leads back to the mountain, it leads back to what we do get. And uh, I, think it, uh, I think it plays out perfectly. And I think it's one of the moments that most people, despite any problems in season eight, are generally happy with. He destroys his brother, kills him, but also dies in the process as sort of a payment for his sins, because there were many. Many, many sins. But um, as you go along, you just, it's, just, it's, it's one of the better redemptions because it just plays out slowly and surely. And again, he, I don't think he wants it. I don't think he feels it, um, that he deserves it. I don't think he feels like he deserves it to the very end, if at all. The hound might have died not feeling that he'd earned redemption or was redeemed. I think he feels uh, he's got some vengeance. And that's the wonderful conflict of the hound. But I'm going to throw this in. in terms of redemptions, the way it plays out, and, it, and it's right now very much show only. We'll see what happens in the books. But uh, don't, uh, don't sleep on the redemption of Melisandre, the Red Witch. Do not. As it plays out in the show, I know I'm a Stannis the Manus guy. I get it. I've liked Melisandre. I get it. But her involvement, the way she comes back and her death, to me, still one of the best things of season eight. Still so haunting. Still so beautiful. Striking. It's good. It plays out so she's so good. One episode, boom, kills it. Kills it. I love everything about it. I love her journey. I love where she starts. She 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 ain't good. She's not to be trusted. But, you know, Stannis has some claims. That's a different conversation. And she does bad things, but it's not as, I guess, overt as, say, Jamie, boo, hiss, boo, the hound, oh, you ruffian. Definitely not like Ramsey or Roose Bolton or Cersei at times, obviously. Cersei's a, we can put a pin in that conversation. I don't know if Cersei has a redemption story just as much as complicated, wonderfully delicious, complicated shades of gray all the way through to the end. Um, but with Melisandre, she does a lot of things. When you look back, she does things, she does things for the sake of war, like, uh, like warriors do, like Ned Stark does, like Robert Baratheon does. Melisandre's doing that in her own way. And she has a power and she, she admits to some of it being false, but some of it ain't. Smoke baby demons. She's got something there and she clearly knows. And she brings John back. So that's redemption, right? 
But all of it, there's just something that hangs over her that doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem like she's using all of her powers for good, and she might have caused more problems than good, even with any good intentions that she has or that she feels she has. But where it ends up, where it goes, and how it helps lead to the big victory, and everything she says, and the advice to Arya, prognostication and the prophecy of the words to Arya way back when, but coming finally to fruition here, it all adds up to being a key, key thing. So a more classic, well-executed redemption story, to me, The Hound is the best. Um, Tyrion keeps getting redeemed time and time again, you know, but The Hound, just this one long story, that's the one I think I, I love the most. But... Um, I keep going to Melisandre, man. I keep going to her, to her purpose, what it was. It had weight to it. Varys is a shady character that has moments of redemption and, uh, and dies in vain. I think, I think he dies in vain. He dies uh, needlessly. Um, I don't mean that as a, as a fan looking on the outside. I'm just looking on the inside. Like, what a loss, man. What a loss. But he tried, and he tried to save the realm. He tried to warn the realm. So, um... Yeah. The idea of Melisandre's uh, redemption being high on the list, that's something I'm, I'm putting out to the team, putting out to all of you. What do you think? What are some of the other redemptions? I'm sure I'm uh, missing some. I'm sure I'm over, overlooking some because there, there's so many of them. Um, but those are the ones. And that's the key, man. Redemption's the key. It makes sense. It's part of the reasons th- these stories are told. I like some characters just doubling down on their evil, doubling down on their bad decisions. It's what I love going to Star Wars talk. I love about Kylo Ren and in The Last Jedi. He makes that choice to turn away from any chance of redemption in that story. But the story's not over. And redemptions don't always stick. And redemptions don't always happen in one big chunk. Just ask the Hound. The Hound does a lot of two steps forward, one giant step back. Hounds also, I think, well aware that he ain't got time for redemption. Um, it's just that, uh, you know, he does end up getting redeemed in the eyes of a lot of fans. Going back to where, go watch that pilot again. If you haven't watched the pilot in a long time, go back and just try to transport yourself to those moments, man. To those moments, like, where you're like, Boo, Cersei. And then two seasons later, you're like, all right, but Cersei has some points. How did Jamie Lannister is disgusting? Eh, but he is, he is right. He is more honor than Ned based on information we knew. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Tyrion, Hound, all of it. It's, it's so good. And how the heroes were presented early on, they start to crumble down a little bit. Even, you know, Ned Stark's a hero all the way to the, the end. Don't get me wrong, but I love. I've talked to him before. I love just kind of addressing some of his mistakes, his stubbornness. He, he could have lived to fight another day. He could have run away and had the information. He could have helped Stannis. He could have helped Renly. He could have done other things. He could have stayed alive. He also could have prepared his children, particularly his his girls, better. I love that honest conversation of Sansa and Arya later on in the seasons. I love all that. But it changes what you're presented in episode one or book one. By the end of it, the end of that story has changed. Robert Baratheon, the king. That's the trope, right? The king. And he's friends with our hero. And he started a war because it was right. And it starts to twist out from there. 
I love it. I love it so much. This is why I love this show. So I still have much to unpack, much to talk about here. If you have a question or a thought starter, a response to something on the show and you haven't done yet, I want new voices. I love our regulars. Eric, Alden, Billy, all of them. Mark from Mark Talk, all of them. You guys keep calling in. We we got a lot of great calls, but you can just go to the Anchor app. There's a link. You call in. You get about 59 seconds. Leave a message. Make a call. Make a thought. Give us a what if. Uh, give us what you're th- excited for in the new show, what you might think. We'll really start digging into Fire and Blood. Characters and possible storylines. We'll be doing more of that. Uh, you can follow me at Ken Napsock. Use the hashtag Casterly Talk if you want to join that conversation. You can like Casterly Talk on Facebook. I have a website, KenNapsock.com, where you can get information on things like shows, uh, where to buy my book, uh, where, why we love Star Wars, and all those type of things. A lot of you know the drill, but for some new listeners, welcome. We're here celebrating a world of ice and fire. We'll see you next time on Casterly Talk. Mm-hmm.